close our eyes for just another minute. I'm telling you, God has really orchestrated some things this morning. And uh, Brother Dwayne and Tristan and all this group up here, they didn't have a clue. Um, I had that song, Gratitude, on repeat on the way here this morning. Because if there were ever a time in our lives when we needed to be grateful, it's the day we live in. If you've still got your family members, if you haven't lost your family members, that's something to be grateful for. If you still have health, you have something to be grateful for. If you've still got breath in your body, you've got something to be grateful for. And this morning, you know, in the day that we live, it's really easy for us to see the negativity everywhere that we look. It's very easy for us to see all of the disaster and all of the chaos and destruction everywhere we turn. You can't turn on the TV, you can't turn on the news, you can't turn on social media, you can't look anywhere without seeing the negativity. It's headlines these days. And it's for a reason. It's purposeful. What they plant in our minds, what they show us for us to see with our eyes. So just for the next few minutes, this is what I want us to do. I want us to just lift our hands. No music, nothing else, just us lifting our hands to God and just being grateful and thankful for what he's done in our lives. Father, we bless you this morning because you are wonderful, because you are mighty to save. God, we bless you this morning because you love us unconditionally. You showed us mercy and grace when you sent Jesus to die on a cross for us, and he took our shame and our pain and our sins and our stains, God, and he hung on a cross for us. And God, when he laid in that tomb, and three days later he rose from the grave, God, you took the shame and the sin and the stains and you laid them in that tomb, God. And, and you said in your word, Lord, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of us this morning. So, God, we praise you for that. We praise you for that priceless gift that we can't work to achieve. God, we praise you for the gift of the Holy Spirit this morning. We praise you, God, because you love us past our mistakes, Lord, past, present, and future. God, we thank you because of our health, Lord, our strength, God, our minds, Lord. We praise you, Lord, because you're just worthy. If you never did another thing for us, God, you're worthy. Until our death, until our dying day, God, until our last breath, God, you'll always be worthy. For eternity, you'll always be worthy, God. When we have nothing left to say, God, it's our hallelujah that we give to you. That's the only thing that matters, God. It's our greatest praise, God. It's the greatest form of worship that we can give to you, Lord. In our brokenness, God. In our turmoil, Lord. In the disasters and the chaos of this life, God. It's our hallelujah that will sustain us. Because we're putting our faith and our trust in the one true God who still sits on the throne today. And the earth is still his footstool. It's that trust, God. It's that faith in knowing that you will deliver us out of the snare of the enemy. You've already made a way of escape, and this morning, God, we stand on your word, and we are grateful. We are grateful, and we ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would come and arrest our hearts. Come and arrest our minds, Lord. Take away the stresses of the life, of the life that we're living, God. Take away our jobs for just a few minutes, Lord, for just a time, a season, God, that we could only see you, and we could only listen to you, God, right now, this morning. Holy Spirit, we pray you create freedom in this place. Remove every distraction. Everything that would hinder, everything that would bind, God, we cast it down in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. Do you serve a risen Savior this morning? Amen. Come on, do you serve a risen Savior this morning?
I'm not talking about a Savior who died on a cross and, and carried our shame, who just laid in a tomb and he's still laying in a tomb. I'm talking about a Savior who ascended to heaven and he sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and I. I'm talking about a Savior who saw you in your mess and chose to bend down in the dust and to pick you up and to breathe new life into you. I'm talking about a Savior who loves you despite who you are or who the world says you are. A Savior who loves you because you are just you and he created you. That's why he loves you. He doesn't love you because of what you've done. He doesn't love you because of what you say. He doesn't love you because you come and sit on these chairs. He loves you because he created you. And he created you for a purpose. And this morning, if I were to, to tell you to look at your neighbor, I want you to look at your neighbor, and I want you to say these four words, okay? And you say it however you want to say it, but say these four words to your neighbor. What do you know? What do you know? And if, if you're like me, then there are times when text messages are deceiving, right? Because we don't know the inflection of someone's voice. We don't know how they're trying to carry a point across. We don't know what they're emphasizing when they say what they say because it's a text message, right? So you don't know where they're coming from. You don't know what state of mind they're in when they say what they say. And if I were to say to you in multiple different ways, what do you know? I could emphasize it in different ways and it would have a different meaning. I could inflect my voice in different ways and it would mean something else. Like, what do you know, Jan? Right? You see how condescending it is when I change the inflection. But if I look at you, Miss Lori, and I say, what do you know? Right? There's an urgency in my voice. And it is the emphasis with which we speak, that makes a difference to the people that are around us. Jesus came with a message of hope and of restoration, something that was unfamiliar in the times that he was living in. Because there was so much condemnation, there were so many religious beliefs, there were so many people that couldn't meet the standard, and Jesus said, I have to come with a message that is different that emphasizes something that these people can grab a hold of. I want you to listen very closely. I have a very simple message this morning, but I believe that God has really put this in my heart. I want you to go to Judges chapter 7. Go to Judges chapter 7 with me. And God's going to teach us something this morning. He's going to teach us something about the way that we perceive things and the way that we say things. Judges chapter 7. How many of you know the story of Gideon? Powerful story. But this is the, the question of the day, right? What do you know? It's a very broad question. There's a, there's a wide range of, of answers that you could give. But if I were to ask you, what do you know about Jesus Christ? What would your answer be? Well, it's what I learned in church. It's what my parents raised me in. It's what my Sunday school teacher or my pastor told me. But what do you actually know about Christ? What do you know and, and what have people told you that is going to get you through whatever you're going through in life? Because I can tell you this, nothing that my pastor told me, nothing that my Sunday school teacher told me, nothing that my father-in-law preached to me 15, 20 years ago is going to sustain me in the hour that I'm in my biggest trial 
if I don't believe that Christ first said it. If I don't know who Christ is, if I don't know the character of Christ, it doesn't matter how many sermons I've heard or how many I've preached. In that moment, the only thing that matters is what do I actually know? What do I know? And so Gideon finds himself in a pretty disastrous place, right? It's already something to say that Gideon and his army was outnumbered four to one, the Bible says. But then God says, nope, let's make it just a little bit harder for you. As if four to one odds were not bad enough already. So in verse one, it says early in the morning, Zerubbabel, that is Gideon, and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, you got too many warriors with you. Get off Facebook. If I let all of you fight, sorry, that was the Holy Spirit. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Stop for just a minute. I'm not going to go any further for just one second. How many times in your life have you felt accomplished because of something that you were able to do? Raise your hand. You've been there, right? Yeah, I did that. I did that, right? And this is exactly what God is warning about. He said, if I even let you go at four to one odds, you'll still think that you did it yourself. So God said, nope, let's change this up. You got too many people around you. Go to verse three, brother. It says, therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. Check this. This is not a typo. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. I need you to look at the people you surround yourself with. And if you're in the middle of something that you could be imprisoned over, you could get in, in, in serious trouble about, I want you to look at them and I want you to say, if you're timid or afraid, just go home and see how many people stand with you. See how many people continue to stand with you in the middle of your mess, right? We see it every day. We see people abandoned. Those people that we thought were the closest to us, that loved us the most, that supported us in prayer, that were just there for us, we thought, right? But just ask them personally. If you're afraid and you don't want to stand, then just go home. Right? I promise you can find out who people are as soon as you put the fire on the situation. So only 10,000 who were willing to fight were left. Next verse. But the Lord told Gideon, there's still too many. There's still too many. Bring them down to the spring and I'll test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. We need some tests in our life. Amen. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him to divide the men in two groups. One group put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it with their tongues like dogs. And the other group put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. And only three hundred of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. Now we're talking about tens of thousands of soldiers were standing with Gideon. And God said, no, I need you to check because 
There is only a select few that I need to be around you in this moment that you're in. I hope somebody catches this this morning. I feel this in my spirit. You need to check the people that are around you because there's only limited amount of space that God needs to fill in your life with people who are sustainable for what your calling is. There's only certain amount of people that God says need a place in your life that can sustain you in your most troubling moments. That means this. I can't fill my life with hundreds of people who don't really care about me. But if I've got five people who are like-minded and Christ has ordained for our paths to cross and they stand behind me and they hold me up in prayer and they're there holding my hand and staking themselves to me, those are the ones that are going to see the victory with me. See, there were too many yes men. There were too many people willing to just walk in the easy times with Gideon. And God said, that's not the people that I'm staking to you. There's 300 people that are going to come out of this stream with you and they're going to walk in the face of the adversary and you're going to get a great victory. You need to cut ties with some people that you think are good for you because God says they're not beneficial for my calling for your life. I say this out of love and I say this out of every bit of mercy and grace that God has put in my heart this morning. There's people in your life that you've got to cut off today. It's detrimental to you to continue to allow them to walk with you in this walk because they're not on the same path as you. They're not going where you're going. And the Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites and send all the others home. Four words I want you to underline in that last verse. I will rescue you. See, when I ask you the question, what do you know? Do you know that God is our rescuer? Do you know that God is our sustainer? Do you know that God is there for you in the middle of your darkest hour? Do you know that without a shadow of a doubt? I believe that there's people in here who've been through some things in their life and they know for a fact that God is their sustainer. I believe that. But I also believe that times are going to get darker and darker and darker around us. And it is absolutely 100% what I know about God that is going to sustain me in my darkest moments that are to come. Because Jesus didn't say you're going to face one or two trials and that's going to be good and I'm going to come back and get you. He said, no, they will persecute you. They will hate you. They will say all matters of evil against you. But know that I'm with you always. He said, I'm always going to be with you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I won't leave you an orphan, he said. Praise God, we've got a father who loves us enough to say I'm not going to leave you in your mess. And he told Gideon, he said, these 300 men, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory. How many of us are fighting from a place of victory this morning? You know you're already victorious. You're not going towards victory. You're walking from victory right now. You're in the middle of it, right? We've already crossed the Jordan. We've already inhabited the promised land. We're walking in the land flowing with milk and honey. Why? Because God says, I am a highly favored child of the one true king. That's what he says about me. I'm a child of God who owns everything, right? 
Go to the next verse, brother. So Gideon collected the provisions and ram's horns of the other warriors and sent them home, but he kept the 300 men with him. And the Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. And that night the Lord said, get up. Say, get up. up. Say, "Get get up. Go down into the Midianite camp for I have given you victory over them. Before you get there. This is, this is just continuous throughout scripture. He says, you're victorious, right? But nine times out of ten, he says, you're already victorious. But what I need from you is to realize that you're already victorious. I need you to realize that the mo- you may not feel it when God first says you're victorious. You may not feel it when, when all of those sensations overwhelm you and those mentalities that the world has tried to cast on you. When, when you see all the negativity, you may not know you're victorious in that moment. But it's like this. I've noticed this time and time again in my life. When I get ready to take the first step, it's not even when my foot hits the floor. It's when my, I raise my leg to take that first step. It's like an overwhelming sensation that the Holy Spirit overwhelms me with to know that I'm not going to walk alone. It's, it's, it's the faith to believe that God is who he says he is. What do you know? Well, I know that God loves me. I know that God is my sustainer. I know that he's with me always, even to the end of this age, right? But I've got to know that before I begin to take those steps, right? Because if I don't know it, then I'm going to start taking steps in the wrong direction. Somebody needs to hear me. If I don't know who God actually is, then when I start to lift my foot to walk, I'm not walking towards victory. I'm going to start walking the wrong way, right? I'm going to walk in deceit and defeat. I'm going to walk in in my own strength. and, And there's some things that I'm going to do or there's some things that I'm going to say. There's some things I'm going to think about myself that are really not who I am because I don't know who God is to me. And I don't know who he's created me to be. What do I know? That's the question I have to ask myself every day. What is it that I actually know? If you allow yourself to be fed by social media, you're not going to know the true God. If you allow yourself to turn on the news and be fed by the news or the the people around you who are worldly, you're not going to know who God actually is. You're going to know a form of godliness. You're going to know a form of godliness. But you're not going to know the power that comes from having a true relationship with God. Right? It's what do I know? What do I know? Go to the next verse, brother. But if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant. Let me just stop for just a second. Gideon's already seen a lot of people that were afraid, right? Now God asked him personally, but if you're afraid, take your servant with you. Go to verse 11. Listen to what the Midianites are saying and you'll be greatly encouraged. Then you'll be eager to attack. So Gideon took Pura and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. What does that tell me about Gideon? He was afraid. He was afraid. God already said, you're victorious. He's already cast away tens of thousands of people, left him with 300. And he's got to be thinking like, hey, okay, God must know what he's talking about. Right? He must know what he's talking about. But then God asks him personally. See, it's different when somebody asks you collectively as a group. And when he looks at you personally and says, what do you actually believe? Are you afraid? And so Gideon, in so many words, said he was afraid. Come on, buddy. Let's go. (laughs) I believe God, but (laughs) come on with me. So he took Pura and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. 
the armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore, too many to count. Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. And the man said, I had this dream. And in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. What a dream, right? His companion answered, your dream can mean only one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over Midian and all its allies. Talk about a confidence booster right there. Imagine over here in that dream, right? Next verse. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship before the Lord. Just stop for just a second because I want you to realize that he's in the enemy camp. Somebody needs to worship when you're in the edge of the enemy's camp and know that victory is right around the corner. You didn't hear it, but you'll get it when you leave here today. Because God is saying to you, that it doesn't matter if you're at the foot of the enemy's camp. If God has told you you're victorious, you need to worship him like you're victorious. God help me this morning. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, get up. Say, get up. For the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. And he divided the 300 men into three groups and gave each man a ram's horn and a clay jar with a torch in it. And then he said to them, keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. That's somebody who leads by example. As soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horns, blow your horns too, all around the entire camp and shout for the Lord. What does he say? And for Gideon. Sometimes you need to give yourself a confidence boost and insert yourself into the scripture. Gideon said, when you shout, he said, shout for the Lord and for Gideon, right? Sometimes you need to tell yourself that you are enough. You need to tell yourself, I am good enough. You need to tell yourself, God did call me. You need to tell yourself, I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. You need to tell yourself these things and say, this is who God says I am and this is what I know. Even in, in that moment, you don't actually believe it. You need to say it. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, say it anyway. Say it anyway. It was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly they blew the ram's horns and broke their clay jars. And then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands. And they all shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon, but none of them had a sword in their hand. What did they have? They had an instrument to worship and they had the fire of God. Somebody better hear me because the fire of God is hand in hand with the worship that you give to the creator of this universe. Oh, somebody better help me because I'm about to shout in here. God said, if you worship me, the fire will not burn out in your life. That's not in the Bible. That's what I feel God speaking in my heart this morning. Your worship is tied to that fire, that power that God wants to instill in you and show you every day of your life. They walked to the edge of the enemy camp with no weapons in their hand and they were outnumbered. But they believed God. They believed God. Come on, do you believe God today? Do you have lost loved ones who need you to believe God for them? 
Do you have people caught up in complacency that need you to believe God for them? You got people around you that are dying and going to hell and they need you to believe God for them. Come on, there's people in this church right now that need you to believe God for them. This is not an I team. This is a me team, not me, not I. It's we, it's together. We fight for one agenda and that is for the glory of God Almighty. You can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. I need you to stake yourself to me and I'll stake myself to you. We need each other. And more than ever before, the enemy is creeping in our churches and he's dividing us one by one by one by one by one. And the more people he can put on an island over there, the more he can put on an island over there, the more he knows he has free reign to do what he wants to do. Why? Because he knows how we were created, even when we don't. See, we think that the enemy has just lost his mind and he's not intelligent and he's not wise. God created him. And when he created him, he put some thought into it. It wasn't just, bam, he was made. No. God created him thoughtfully. He put a lot of effort, a lot of time. He put a lot into him, right? And this is the thing. He put a lot into you as well. But this is the problem. See, Satan knows exactly what his destiny is. The question is, is how much do you know what your destiny is? Because it is your perspective and it is what you know that is going to determine the course of action in your life. What do I know? And so Gideon and, and his companions are standing there with a horn in one hand and a torch in the other. No weapons to be found, but they're trusting God. And each man stood in his position around the camp and watched all the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape from what? They had no idea. And when the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. And those who were not killed fled to places as far away as Beth Shittah near Zerera and to the border of Abel, Mahola, near Tabath. I don't know where none of that is, but it's in the Bible, so I read it for you. And I did all right. I butchered most of it, but it's okay. This is the point. This is the point. When you allow God to fight the battle for you, you don't have to have the weapons the world tells you you've got to have. I don't have to have the fame. I don't have to have the fortune. I don't have to have the best clothes or the best vehicles or the best house. I don't have to have material things. All I have to have is faith in Christ. And all I've got to have is the Holy Spirit working in my life. That's all I've got to have. If I know that and I trust that, then I am already victorious. I've won half the battle just by believing that I've won the battle. Go with me real quick. 1 Samuel chapter 14. I'm telling you, it's going to be very simple, but it's, it's something that can absolutely change the way that you think if you allow the word to work, because I promise you, the word works. You don't have to spice it up. It's already spicy. 1 Samuel chapter 14. And go to verse 6. We see this just replayed over and over and over in Scripture. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps, perhaps 
if you're the armor bearer and he looks at you and he says, perhaps, and then he says what he's about to say, I might be praying for another armor bearer. I mean, because he's probably gone if I look at him and say, perhaps, right? Perhaps the Lord will help us for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. Now, raise your hand in here. If your master, your armor bearer, your master looks at you and says, perhaps the Lord will be with us. Let's go fight all these people. Uh, raise your hand if you're, you're ready. You're ready to go. Nobody, nobody's going to raise their hand. None of y'all wants to go? What if he says, come on, let's go. We're going to be victorious when we fight these people. Are you going to go? Do you want to go? It is, it is absolutely how he words it, though, isn't it? That matters to you and I. He says, perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle, whether he has many warriors or only a few. Now, this is the best armor bearer I've ever heard in my life. Go to verse 7. Do what you think is best, the armor bearer replied. Psh, the devil's a lie. Uh-uh. I don't think you heard from Jesus. I don't think you heard from God. I'm sorry, perhaps, no. I don't, I don't want perhaps. Uh-uh. Do what you think is best. Nah, you better go pray again. Put out a fleece before God because uh, I don't think this is right. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. Next verse, yep. All right, then Jonathan told him, we will cross over and let them see us. Okay, now we're not just going. Now we're putting ourselves out there so they can see us. All right, this guy's crazy, first of all. Because that's not the way that I, I, I like to walk with people. You know what I mean? Perhaps we'll be all right. Or we might die. You know? If they say to us, now, now we start another sentence, if. If they say to us, stay where you are or we'll kill you, then we're going to stop and not go up to them. Hold on. We've already showed ourselves to them. They've already seen us. They know what we look like, fam. If you've watched movies, when they see you, you're dead. Right? I know who you are. No. That's the way it works in movies anyways, probably in real life too. If I saw a burglar, then I'd probably be looking out for him next time if I saw his face, wouldn't you? And he says, look, but if they say, come up, come on up and fight, then we will go up. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. I didn't hear Jonathan praying to God and getting that information right there. I, I didn't see where, where God specifically said, this is the ultimatum, if this and if that. No. All I did was, as the armor bearer, I heard Jonathan say, perhaps God's going to be with us. And if this happens, then we'll do this. And if that happens, we'll do that. I'm not very confident in that. But apparently the armor bearer, they must have had some really good mushrooms back in that day. Or, or he really trusted God, right? I think it was the latter, probably. I couldn't see him doing shrooms when he was about to walk with, you know, the man of God. So when the Philistines saw them coming, they shouted, Look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. And then the men from the outpost shouted to Jonathan, Come on up here and we'll teach you a lesson. Come on, climb right behind me. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, For the Lord will help us defeat them. And so they climbed up using both hands and feet. No weapon again. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed those who came behind them. They killed some 20 men in all, and their bodies were scattered over about half an acre. 
And suddenly panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including even the outposts and raiding parties. And just then an earthquake struck and everyone was terrified. Stop right there. Go to 2 Kings. It's redundant. It's redundant. There's a point to this. 2 Kings chapter 6. Verse 12. 2 Kings 6 verse 12. Now, if you've read this story before, if you haven't heard it, Elisha is pretty much just calling every shot that's happening before it happens, right? He knows exactly what's going to happen before it happens, and he's given that information, and now this dude is freaking out, talking about who in the world is telling this man all of my business. Verse 12, none of us, my Lord, the king said, one of his officers, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words that you speak in your bedroom. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can, I can send men and capture him. And the report came back, he is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. And they went by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. This is what he said. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. It's easy for you to say when you believe that, right? But that, 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 that guy that was with him did not believe that, right? Because the next verse says, Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha, right? Elisha knew before it happened because it is what he knew. What do you know? Elisha said, I know I'm victorious. Just like Jonathan said, I know I'm going to be victorious. Just like Gideon said, I know I'm going to be victorious, right? You know what's significant about that dream that he had? That loaf of barley was considered an inferior grain of bread. Which means this, that even in the dream, he knew that he was not capable of overcoming in his own strength. Why would God choose to use an inferior grain of bread even in the dream? right? Because it was to make a point to you and I and all of us for thousands of years that read this book and see this story to realize that even when I don't feel like I'm capable of doing what God has called me to do, when I feel inferior, I'm still victorious. What happened to that grain of bread that was inferior? It rolled over everything and flattened it, the Bible says, in that dream, right? That is you and I knowing knowing a hundred percent this is who God is and this is who I am. What do you know? Look at your neighbor and say, what do you know? Last passage of scripture. Go to Esther. Esther chapter four. Esther. Sorry. That was in my head. I just said that. I'm sorry. Esther chapter four, verse 13 through 16. Y'all still awake? If somebody's not, punch him in the side. I'm just kidding, don't do that. Let's play. Esther chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. Starting verse 12. Has anybody in here never heard the story of Esther? Never? At all? 
Okay, so we know Esther, right, is is in this, uh, if you want to call it parade of brides, right? She's uh, she's in this place where she is trying to be the queen. Uh, she does not fit in in the scenario that she's in. And now one of her family members is telling her that it's very important for her to go in to see the king. And the rule says that um, when you go in to see the king and he hasn't called you, the penalty is death. Right? Um, I'm sorry, family member who wants me to do this, but um, that's not very smart. Okay? So in chapter 4, verse 12, Esther's words were reported to Mordecai. He sent back this answer because this, this is what she said. Hold on. Go back to verse 11. All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the golden scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. Right? So verse 12, when Esther's words were reported back to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do you think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape? Called her right out on the carpet. For if you remain silent, At this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Right? This is what Mordecai knew. He knew that God was going to deliver them. What he knew was that Esther was in a very, very particular situation, right? But Mordecai knew that God was going to save them. I know that because he looked and he said to Esther, either way, we will be delivered. But you have a choice to believe with me and you can be saved as well. Somebody needs to hear the spiritual context of this because there are people in your life that you need to believe and know who God is until they can believe it too. You need to be the one in that house or in that relationship that says, I know this about God and I'm going to know this about God until you catch on to it too, right? We can't just leave them out by themselves and say, well, one day you might get it or you might just end up in hell. Sorry. Sorry for you. Come on, what is our commission as children of God? It is to spread the good news that Jesus is for us and not against us, that he died on a cross to save us, and every one of us can be delivered. That's what we're supposed to tell people, right? But we've got to believe it. What do you know? Mordecai knew God's going to save us either way. But Esther, you got a real particular job here. You can choose to do this thing because who knows, maybe God positioned you for such a time as this. In verse 15, then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. What a change of perspective, right? And it's simply because of what was behind the words that were spoken. Right? Think about it. Mordecai spoke with an assurance. He spoke with a confidence that either way, God is going to deliver us. So Esther's answer went from, no, I'm not doing this, to wait. 
he is very confident about this. Maybe I should be confident as well. Somebody needs to catch hold of this this morning because this is the vision that God put in my heart this morning. It's that if you got to have the confidence when somebody else don't have the confidence, have the confidence for them. Because when you don't have the confidence, guess what? You're going to need them to have the confidence for you. And if I said it too fast, I'm sorry, but this is the thing. You and I need each other. And when I'm not confident, I need you to be confident. When you're waving that flag in worship and I don't feel like worshiping, guess what? I need to see the confidence of knowing that you're going to worship regardless, no matter what I feel. You know what I'm saying? This is a team thing, and we've got to have each other. And God says, I need you to have the confidence and the faith to believe because, look, this world is going to keep getting darker. It's not going to get any better, but this is the fact of the matter. The Bible says it's very specific that even in the darkest moments, a very small light will light up everything. Why? Because the light shines brightest in the darkness. Does it not stand to your feet all over the house? This is what I need us to understand this morning. When Joshua and Caleb had a report that there were giants in the land, guess what? The majority of the people in the group said, we cannot go and conquer. What did Joshua and Caleb say? We are more than able to go and conquer and take over this land. It don't matter who's in the land. Don't matter what giants are there. Joshua and Caleb had an answer to say, God is able and we can conquer, right? It's in what you know, isn't it? It's in how you say it. It's the inflection in your voice. It's the emphasis that you put on it. Is it not? Just like Joshua and Caleb, David walked out and saw a bunch of the Israelites sitting there doing nothing, waiting and, and wondering why nobody was coming to help them, right? That's what they were thinking. And David said, hold on. This man is cursing God's people and you're sitting on your behinds doing nothing. And David said, no, that ain't me. I'm sorry. I got to do something about this. God is saying I need some people in the last days to get a fire and an urgency in their heart to fall on their face and say, you know what? When nobody else is going up to face Goliath, I'm going to get up and I'm going to do something and I'm going to trust that God is going to do it and beat the, the enemy before I even get there. This is the thing, right? We've got to know. What do you know? Joshua and Caleb knew. David knew when he fought Goliath. The woman with the issue of blood knew something that, God help me, that somebody else didn't know. She wasn't supposed to touch Jesus. She wasn't supposed to be associated with Jesus. She wasn't supposed to push through that crowd. But she knew one thing. If I can just get to the hem of his garment, then I'll be made whole. Every doctor that had touched her only made the problem worse. But she knew that God could heal her. And so she pushed her way through the crowd. There was already an agenda going on. Jesus was going to do something else. And this woman said, no, this is my time. I know that I can be made whole if I can just get to him. This world is dying looking for Jesus. The one person that can make them whole. And what are we doing? What confidence are we showing them? When we sit on our behinds and we're so depressed and beat down and believe that we're not enough and God has already given us the victory. We'll come to church and we'll put on a smile and we'll put on a mask and say, yeah, everything is good and our house is in turmoil. And we've got no confidence that we're going to go anywhere with Christ. That we're going to be victorious. And we put on that fake smile and we come and sit on these church chairs and all the while God's looking at us saying, but what do you know? What do you know? What do you know? What you know can help someone else when they don't know. What you know is valuable. What you know is the light 
that can penetrate the darkest dark of this world. But what are you doing with what you know? See, just like they knew, Rahab knew that when she hid those spies, she knew in her heart, something's going to happen for me. I'm not going to be known as Rahab the prostitute anymore. Mm-mm. I'm going to be in the hall of faith. When the Bible wasn't even written in the New Testament at that time, she said, I'm going to know that one day they're not going to know Rahab the prostitute. Nah. I, they're going to know Rahab, a woman who was full of faith, who hid these spies for God. That's what she knew. Just like Rahab, Daniel was in the lion's den and he knew. That's why he prayed every day. He never stopped praying. It didn't matter what decree came over the land. He knew. He knew his God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, look, it don't matter if he delivers us or not. While we're in this fire, I'm going to do what God said. And I'm not bowing a knee to another idol in this life. And we do it every day when we put our trust and our faith in all the things of this world. That's an idol in our lives. And you know what that says to God? I don't trust you. Hear me. Hear me in this moment right here. You got to know. Because what you know is the only thing that's going to sustain you in those moments. And Peter... The best story of the Bible, in my opinion, of restoration. A man who walked with the Savior of the world. And Jesus looked him in the face and said, buddy, you're going to deny me. Looked him in the face. Can you imagine the shame that came over Peter when his Savior, his Master, looked at him and said, you're going to deny me. In that moment when it matters the most, you're not going to meet the the criteria. You're going to crumble under the pressure. But this is what Jesus knew. Because this is what Jesus said. When you... (laughs) When you realize... (laughs) When you find out That you are not your mistake. Go strengthen your brothers. When you know that I'm not who the world says I am. I'm not a failure. When you know I'm not inferior. When you know it. He said go strengthen your brothers. And God didn't just leave it right there. No, God just goes above and beyond because he's just that person, right? He's just that dude. When Peter failed and Peter thought, man, I'll never get back there again. When Jesus rose after the third day, what did the angel say? He said, go get the disciples and Peter. Somebody needs to hear it this morning. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, how you feel like you failed or what success you think you may have had or where you are in your life right now. God said, it is what you know. And he said, this is what I know about you. You're more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. He says, you're the head and you're not the tail. He says, you're blessed coming in and you're blessed going out. Everything you put your hand to, you will succeed in because you are highly favored. You're a royal priesthood. You are chosen, handpicked by God Almighty.
That's what you got to know. So if you're in here this morning and you're struggling, look, they've already said it multiple times, the altar's open, but this is the call this morning. I want you to come with an expectancy of saying, God, I got to know that I know that I know that in this trial this morning, who I am and who you are. Come on, if that's you, I want you to come this morning. If you're struggling with anything, God, I praise you because you are matchless, God. There is no one like you, no one beside you, no one can take your place. God, for every person that's represented in here this morning, I pray, Father, that the conviction of the Holy Spirit would overwhelm this place, God, and that you would allow us to see the places that we struggle, the places that we hurt, the places that you need to touch right now this morning, God. I pray that you would overwhelm us until we run to you so that you can show us who you are and we can know who we are. God, right now this morning, I pray, Lord, that the identity crisis that the world has tried to place on us would be diminished, would be destroyed, God, that it would be cast down by the work of the Holy Spirit right now this morning. God, I pray for overwhelming freedom in our hearts and in our minds, God, that you would challenge us, encourage us, help us to believe, God, that we are children of the Most High God and that we are called for such a time as this. God, right now in Jesus' name, I pray that your spirit would saturate us and change us, overwhelm us, God, until we believe that we are who you say we are. In Jesus' name. Come on, if you want special prayer, I want you to come up here this morning. We're going to pray as a family. We're going to pray as a family because I believe it's necessary. I don't care if it's a health problem. I don't care if it's a mental problem. I don't care if it's a spiritual, a social problem. I don't care what it is. If you have a need this morning, I want you to please, please, please do not leave this place until you come and you meet with God this morning. Come on, if that's you. Not going to tarry. We're not going to tarry long because I believe if God's pricking your heart, you're going to move. You're going to move.